Welcome to the VVV Podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Jonathan Padilla, founder and CEO of Snickerdoodle, answering the questions of the VVV community. Snickerdoodle strives to empower individuals and enterprises alike with a privacy-first approach to data and will allow individuals to control what data they want to share and even earn the rewards for this. All right. Hello, Jonathan. Great to meet you. Hey, guys. You. How are folks doing today? Very well. Thanks for joining in. Happy to be uh, here. How are you? It's been uh, it's been a hectic week. I was overseas uh, for the for the most of the last four weeks, but I'm back stateside uh, now here in the U.S. I was in I was in Europe for about four weeks, uh, a combination of business and, and, and a holiday. All right, amazing. We have uh, a plethora of questions lined up for you. <laughs> uh, people are incredible, incredibly uh, curious to hear you speak about Snickerdoodle and to really go into a deep dive uh, together with us. Um, before we do so, um, I would be very appreciative if you um, could give us some background about yourself and um, if you could then jump into the elevator pitch or brief overview of what Snickerdoodle is and what it does and which problems it resolves. Yeah, uh, well, happy to kind of dive in and give my my brief story. Uh, my original career was in was in government and politics. I run campaigns in the United States from the local, the state, and federal. I worked in the Obama White House doing communications for a minute. I uh, got to do a fair amount of stuff for for then President Obama and then Vice President Biden. Um, moved into technology and, and venture about six seven years ago at this point. Worked for a guy named Steve Wesley, who was uh, uh, the former CFO of eBay and, and brought eBay public in the late 90s. And he taught me the ropes and a lot of the, the technology investing side and got me in, to a, I, I guess, a different career path. I uh, went overseas for a couple of years. I was at Oxford, had a full scholarship at Oxford, got into blockchain when I was at Oxford. And this is, this is now 2016, you know, about six years ago right now. I spent some time in Nairobi, Kenya doing venture investing then, and then was a Schwarzman scholar at Tsinghua in Beijing, uh, where I wrote my master's thesis there on, on transnational regulation of digital assets. A lot of that work was used by the Financial Stability Board and the G20 back in, in 18 when they were first looking at uh, regulation of, of digital assets. Uh, had a small startup called uh, Caracol that had an exit in 2019. And then spent most of 2019 building a fintech lab at Stanford. That lab was a joint effort between the United Nations International Telecommunications Union and the Stanford School of Engineering. That's still active. Our faculty directors are Dan Benet, who arguably is one of the U.S.'s top cryptographers, and then David Mazieres, who co-founded Stellar. Uh, from there, I, I joined PayPal, uh, led global blockchain strategy at PayPal for about a year and a half. Designed, uh, you know, buy, sell, hold a crypto, built PayPal's stablecoin. I led investments in the TRM Labs, Talos, Taxpin, and Paxos. And uh, it was a great, you know, time at PayPal. A lot of really, really interesting stuff and problems we had to solve. But, you know, thought I could offer more to the space and left uh, end of May last year to join uh, and start Snickerdoodle. 
we've been working, you know, full time at Snickerdoodle for the for really the last fifteen months or so. You know, and the, and the thesis comes from this notion that NFTs, especially enterprise applications of NFTs, will be transformative for how we see data infrastructure and how we how we look at moving the aggregation point of data from big companies like Facebook and Amazon and Google to the individual. And if we can do that, it becomes incredibly powerful and important to put the individual, you know, in their self-sovereign nature first and foremost here. So uh, that's that's a very high-level look at Snickerdoodle to kind of dive a bit deeper. What we're actually building in terms of product is is one, an edge computing network. Think about it as a consumer data platform that is natively Web3, where individuals kind of store control their data using the infrastructure we've built and that's super important because it's gdpr compliant by design you control your own data even if i were captured by the cia and brought to a black site there's nothing even a ceo that i could do to share an individual's data and then from uh from a business perspective if that's our kind of decentralized network we're building analytics tool sets for for companies think about it is almost Google Analytics for Web3. We can offer insights leveraging that type of network that give businesses from dApps to the gaming companies to DEXs to centralized exchanges you know, insight into who their customers are, where they are, what, what are they doing on a multi-chain basis. And uh, that's really what we're building. We're, we're actively testing that now with several external customers. And, you know, the team has been Heads down, building over the summer. So we're all we're all pretty excited. Let me go ahead and pause there. All right, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, one of the questions which came up uh, from, from our community is: What keeps one of those companies or a bad actor from potentially copying the data uh, one of your customers decide to share? It's a great question. Well, the, the truth is that's not that's not possible in the system. So in, in most systems, if you look at data sharing Web2, you have to share the granular data um, inputs to be able to kind of share data. And so once you share an input of data, that data now belongs to whatever entity was kind of basically given or sold that data. So the way we've built our architecture is that you know, a firm that wants to, 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 to use the analytics and insights platform, they're seeing population level data, they're seeing the outputs of the data. And if we want to do something like, a, say, a Web3 advertising campaign, it's really these, these data wallets that we've built out communicating with each other uh, and being able to kind of share that the, those critical pieces of information without that being revealed to, uh, to a business customer. So we've thought long and hard about this. We think as we, we dive deeper into this, it's a whole new world in terms of not selling underlying data, but the individuals being empowered to lease their data to various actors for specific purposes. And this, this is a critical piece of, I think, of business model innovation, because if we can now lease the data, uh, it becomes this renewable resource in, in a way. That allows it to be uh, really kind of monetized in multiple fashions. All the individual retains you know, his or her control over it and, and the underlying inputs to, to make it practical here. Do you think there could be a risk in 
people not being aware of how they best protect their data and then eventually them giving away their data to someone else who's then selling it or making it available much more freely uh, in comparison to you. Or let me phrase it differently. You know, someone like Adidas, for example, they could go to someone else and potentially buy similar or the same data which you are aggregating somewhere else. So it's a good question. Uh, I would I would say this. Um, you know, first and foremost, education becomes critically important here, and there needs to be a paradigm shift of people understanding this data, its implications. When I was in Paris at the at the middle of of July about a month ago, I, I gave a brief talk on notion of a Web three social contract. And if we have this idea of, you know, if, if Web 1 was the state of nature and Web 2 was, say, digital feudalism, where, you know, the value that we all produce was extracted to a very small group of digital oligarchs, we're now at this point where we can redefine both the rights and privileges of, of a data economy. But that requires individuals to kind of be equipped with the tool sets to, to understand that and then both government and enterprise having responsibilities and obligations to, to protect individuals so are we going to get there overnight no it's going to take some time to get there but i think if we have these conversations it starts to kind of set up an ethos of of what we want and what we expect from these peer groups the other thing i would say is that you know a lot of folks will have the ability in our infrastructure and architecture to to minutely tinker around and, and you know structure how they want their data economy shared. But I think the vast majority of people we've seen interactions over web two will, will simply say, hey snickerdoodle, uh, you know, let's set up a, a data union, a data, a data pool, whatever kind of nomenclature you want to use there. And, and hey snickerdoodle, advocate the best value for our data. In that kind of environment, you know, it, it comes on the, the people within the company to, to make sure that we have a lot of respect for the individual, the trust they've given us, and, and be very mindful of, of the, the efforts we're taking to, to generate one value, but also protect privacy and the integrity of, of, of that relationship. Do you see any risk in long delays between bridging the gap between where we are now in terms of uh, education of uh, customers and users and where we need to be for Snickerdoodle to really have uh, the impactful value proposition that it's supposed to have. I don't think it's going to be that big of a gap. I think we're at a point now where this business would not have made sense three years ago. You think about you know, back going back, uh, 2019 in the wake of the 2018 crash i think the amount of enterprise adoption one the amount of apps and games and other types of applications that are being built that need the business product we have and i think the general awareness of, of web3 is getting to a point where we're at that saturation point so uh snickered would not have made sense to start in 2018 that like i can say that very directly um, but for where we are now, I think well, we're well-placed to, to build, to, to be 
a force multiplier to standardize a lot of these things in the space and, and really become a harbinger of, you know, how the Internet ought to be. So uh, the team we have is, is very much focused on that. It's, it's a very technically focused team of the 41 people or so we have, you know, two thirds of them are engineers. But as I think we, we grow into, um, you know, being more post product, we'll definitely have the right marketing and, and other related kind of functions to, to support those, those areas I just discussed. And who do you target first? Uh, are you going to do it sim simultaneously? Are you going to target businesses first or the end consumer right away? So this is a good question. Uh, you know, we, we differentiate between users and customers. And users would be like us as individuals who maybe have downloaded the data wallet and have that type of functionality. And we see the customers as the B2B relations. And the we have to kind of do things concurrently. It has to be an effort to, to do both. We do see this as a, a kind of growth hack. We're working with businesses who want to better understand their, their users. Uh, those customers, as we, we onboard them to our insights and analytics platform, they, they help bring their users uh, to, to that data lake, that infrastructure we've built out. So the more customers who join the infrastructure and the system, the, the the broader the user base grows. And we think with enough of that, it becomes a virtuous cycle. So um, that's that's our focus. I mean, our focus in the, in the, the next quarter is really on blockchain-based games. We think that's a great space to iterate on. That's a great space we can do very safely, very quickly. And as, as we, we get the tech further built out and we understand the, the needs of of these customers and of the users, we can tackle much more complex things in, into DeFi and DEXs and these types of things. With the data on the blockchain being mostly public, do you see any risk in the data of users potentially being scraped and simply sold by another party? We don't think that's, that's going to be, frankly, very very easy to do given how we've built our architecture. If we think about you know, firms out there right now, like say a Nansen or a TRM Labs, they're basically uh, taking a look at on-chain data and, and compiling it. I mean, they'll tell you who A16's, what A16's Ethereum address is, and they'll, they'll try to get signal from doing that. I mean, that's great if you have a very small number of of like trading use cases but for what we're trying to build it's this marriage of the on-chain data and we we increasingly think there will be more protections of that as we think about uh zero knowledge proofs and these other types of things and we marry and that and, that, and that's then married with personal identifying information and so the secret sauce for snickerdoodle is this marriage of the on-chain data with the off-chain data and that, that becomes incredibly difficult to scale and scrape because without uh, the consent of the individual, it's all just basically complete noise to anybody trying to scrape the data. So uh, we've given this a lot of thought. For what we've built, it's a privacy-preserving uh, data layer that would not make any kind of scraping practical um, and given the individual has to kind of offer consent for this thing to work, uh, that, that too would, would add another layer of difficulty for any kind of nefarious action there. 
Now, when you're approaching other businesses with your value proposition, why would they want to work with Snickerdoodle? And do you see a risk of them being used to owning and gatekeeping the data that they collect directly? It's a good question. I mean, the simple, the simple answer is, given how we've built our tech, um, emphasizing again that we're sharing outputs and, and not really the inputs, uh, a business has a very real desire to have an analytics suite, to understand their customers, to understand how to best iterate on their product. And what we face right now is that, you know, maybe 1% of firms have built an in-house data team. And maybe they have a Tableau engineer or two, um, and they have this type of functionality. But the vast majority of them are very nimble, very lean teams that want to build great product and don't necessarily have both the resources or bandwidth or, or, or maybe both to have a really advanced data science team. So the value proposition that we, we have to the businesses is that we can give you the insights and analytics on your customers. We can tell you what they're doing on a multi-chain basis. We can do this in a very turnkey economical fashion. And that then empowers you as a business owner and executive to go out and make the right marketing, the right product, the right uh, host of decisions to improve your business and maximize you know, revenue and, and, and value there. Reality is that we face a world now in Web3 where we're frankly using pre-Web1 tools. Look at the fact that we're on Discord here today. And Discord is, is in a lot of ways the, the primary data funnel for a lot of blockchain-based uh, dApps and games to get customer feedback. And not to say that Discord is bad, but uh, you know, there, it, can be a, it can be kind of a hot mess sometimes of a way to organize uh, collective feedback. So we really want to give the proper Web2 type tools that you know, firms at scale and enterprise firms are used to using and give that a chance to be functional across Web3. Does it also mean that you see companies like Facebook, Google, um, or Meta in general, do you see them as partners or potentially as competitors or threats? So it's a great question. I, I mean, the truth is, like, with what we're building, a firm like Google or Facebook could leverage the infrastructure we've built to still deliver their ads in a very turnkey way without ever having to take on the data risk of and, and have to deal with the GDPR and these types of things. So we, we don't think of them necessarily as competitors. We think of them as, you know, eventual customers. Uh, we'll have to see what they say in the longer term there, but we, we've designed this system to really be um, as much a public good as possible for data preservation and privacy. So, We'll have to see what happens as those firms kind of get better into Web3. But the, the nice thing is that when it comes to a Web3 environment, nobody really has a decisive competitive advantage. And I think from, from what we're building, we're, we're just as good in, in Web3 as, as a lot of these other firms, if not frankly, frankly better. So uh, we're, we're committed just to kind of keep on building. And we've had really great conversations already with, with folks uh, at firms like Google and whatnot. There has been some mixed point of views uh, in our community 
um, relating to the value of Web2 data and the implications that might have for the value of the data uh, Snickerdoodle is then facilitating uh, of its users. Um, can you maybe give us a, like an, an estimate of what you think Web2 data is currently worth and whether or not you think that collecting Web3 data is going to be more valuable? So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a composite. Um, I mean, I would say this. We're at a point right now where valuing data is an incredibly difficult thing because there's no kind of actual, so to speak, for putting together a direct value uh, of this type of thing on a, on a diverse system. Being said, you know, by layering in Web2 data with, I think, the new Web3 data and with this decentralized uh, data like we're, we're building out, you really think that this is the first step to basically building you know, effectively uh, an automated marketplace for data. And if we can begin to do that and we can begin to price the data, uh, that has a number of interesting applications as we think about DeFi and how uh, value of data you know, gives people basically chips on a table um, on, on a kind of level playing field. So I'm not going to be bold enough to say that I can properly value the data. I think that's a conversation we, we're having now with a number of economists at some top universities. But that is something we, we are spending a lot of time thinking about. And our goal is to, to get, get to a better framework on how to properly value that probably over the next 12 to 15 months. How much do you think that outcome uh, is going to have an impact on the overall value of Snickerdoodle? Do you think there's a correlation there, i.e. if the Web3 data is potentially worth less, uh, would it also break down the, the value proposition of Snickerdoodle? I, I don't think it would necessarily bring down the value of Snickerdoodle. I think you know we're on this evolution of data from Web2 becoming data in Web3. And that's going to continue to take shape as more firms, you know, enter this space and, and build products related to this space. So uh, we're we're in this to be a twenty-five year you know less company. We we expect Snickerdoodle to to be around in you know quarter half century type of a thing. And if, if we can we can do this and and generate the revenue from from our SaaS product on the insights analytics and from the transactions for this data AMM where we've talked about, like we're in a good spot to have the runway and value to do this. So, um, you know, I think it's all gonna, it's all gonna go down to, if I have to be like super bold in, in my vision here, Snickerdoo five to 10 years out, you know, is basically enabling private sector UBI. And what I mean by that is universal basic income is that if we can, we can have this framework and infrastructure for data where the value of data becomes something that you know people can be paid out either in in monthly installments or maybe a lump sum or maybe uh use it as collateral for a loan and if we have this this massive data defi ecosystem you know built on snickerdoodle's infrastructure I mean that that is a data economy that will be worth trillions of dollars and if we think about Say Ray Dalio from uh, from Bridgewater. I mean, he defines the biggest three trends in in basically the rest of the century as U.S. China uh, as as artificial intelligence and as big data. 
And if we can if we can tackle this this big data challenge and, and have that be a, a macro infrastructure, it, it generates a lot of value for our token holders. It will generate a lot of value for for the C corp, and I think uh, it'll be a tremendous force multiplier on wealth transfer to those in in the global south as we think about emerging markets. How are you going about incentivizing the end user to install your data wallet? make the reality yeah so there's a couple ways we think about this you know first we have our own native data wallet uh we think we can also integrate with things like metamask and phantom and other wallets as a widget comparable to what we say a MoonPay has done so we see this as multiple efforts uh to really kind of uh get distribution to a lot of folks there as we think about the short term um it's really more of a barter economy the whole kind of models are being still built out by working with blockchain-based games or say a DeFi platform we can incentivize i think users to, to permission their data for in-game nfts or different skins or for things like DeFi platforms it could be you know another five basis points worth of yield or something comparable there uh, frankly we'd love feedback and, and insights from people, you know, on this type of this AMA. I mean, this is part of our kind of customer user uh, research. And we think from from our own kind of initial research, those types of things will be compelling. In the longer term, we have a you know the token economy and ways to incentivize people there for both downloads and for uh, kind of churn of the token economy, velocity of the token economy, where people will be paid in in our token. But uh, the nice thing is we built a pretty robust infrastructure that not only can deliver rewards that Snickerdoodle has is built, but uh, has really has the potential to be delivering rewards from from any L1, from any other DAP or or, or DeFi type platform, and so um, they don't even have to be blockchain based rewards. So uh, it could be something like a coupon or, or these other types of nudges. So it is a robust infrastructure. We have a lot of interesting patents we're working with legal to get filed right now on the C Corp side. Uh, I think it positions the company well uh, to capture a lot of value there. Thank you, Jonathan. And so I'm curating uh, the questions. Oh, my my partner's curating the questions from the community on the side. So we will uh, go on to those uh, towards the end of the AMA. Right now, uh, I have a, a very long list of uh, questions which have been submitted in advance. Um, so let me see uh, which ones we can pull out of there. Um, so when we had uh, Atticus as a guest, he mentioned that um, one of the use cases of Snigodoodle could be building Web3 native advertising. What do you envision Web3 native advertising to look like in the future? This is where I think it gets really exciting. If I go to uh, what I just mentioned um, a moment ago, I mean, we imagine this as leveraging the data that we, we kind of discussed. And so if we have an infrastructure where this, this edge computing network allows for people to, and these data wallets to talk to each other, it can basically say to say an Adidas or one of these other types of firms, uh, you want to target, you know, a thousand users in the UK who are fans of Dua Lipa. And, and maybe Dua Lipa is doing something on, on 
on Rally with you know, Kevin and, and the team there, he can have scalpel-like precision that allows for next-generation targeting of this stuff. And you know, it's not so much that people are opposed to advertising. It's more that people want to have something that is curated and of, a, of keen interest to them. So we, we enable that to kind of happen where an advert, you know, a firm or brand is not seeing that you're, you know, that you're, I'm Jonathan Padilla from California. They're seeing somebody with a, with a comparable profile. And so that privacy preservation is super, super critical, but then allows us to, to go, you know, directly to wallet in a function that is useful for the user and, uh, you know, becomes a, a powerful way to do this. And so, and our goal is to, to hopefully demo this with, uh, at consensus next year. And with the way development is going, we're on track to do that. And I, we think this will be a great way to derive value for the user in terms of them being compensated every time their data is used, but also curate experiences for them that are, that are meaningful and, frankly, you know, impactful for them. Thank you, Jonathan. Are there, and, and this is the next question. <clears throat> Are there any plans for Sneakledoodle to build a decentralized digital ID solution? Do you think Web3 will enable digital, digital identity without the involvement of a centralized entity or intermediary or some recognition by governments will be a must? So this, this is a good question. Um, there's going to have to be a hybrid approach. And what I mean by that is like, we have a situation where regulation is inevitable. I know people have strong opinions on this, and my thesis is, is simple. Um, we have a chance to, to have huge wins for the vast majority of people with, I think, minimal compromise with government. But it does mean that regulation and, and working with those types of actors will, will frankly, you know, have a regulatory framework that people can trust that big enterprise and businesses are willing to kind of comply with and, and trust as well, which will help bring more actors into Web3. And as we think about the AML and KYC requirements from everything from centralized exchanges to DeFi to even now traditional banking that can move into a Web3 environment payments, this is, this is going to be very, very huge for, for making blockchain here to stay and I think driving a lot of value for those who are early adopters. So Regulation is not a bad thing. Regulation is a necessary thing that shows that we're entering a stage of maturity across across the industry. That being said, as we think about Snickerdoodle's products on the digital ID front, I mean, I've worked on digital ID pretty extensively at, at PayPal, the lab at Stanford. We have a phenomenal um, head of ID, Carrie Frank, who's based in London. Carrie worked for me when I was at PayPal as well. And so we do think that there will be a, a digital ID component here. It's just we're not starting with digital ID because the utility is not just there yet. And for firms that have approached digital ID first, think about Evernum or, or Spruce ID or a couple others, um, I think they've had a very tough time monetizing that. And it goes to uh, building something that hasn't quite gotten the need yet. So. We're, we definitely have a vision for an ID type product. We, we think this can integrate with a number of different applications and serve you know, both decentralized needs, the, the needs of uh, potentially government, especially if we, you know, we've had some really interesting conversations with folks of various UN, UN bodies, but how this could be used uh, 
to do things for refugees and others. So there's definitely a need there. Uh, we're, we're doing this in a way that I think will be respectful of the finite dollars we have and, and prioritizing things that maximize the overall success of both the network and the company. Thank you. And the next question is, it seems that wallets will be the focal point of user experience in Web3. Is there any threat that MetaMask or any other will build similar to Snigadoodle NFT data infrastructure layer? It perfectly fits with their proposition and simplifies user experience. And I think in this case, the, our community member is uh, relating to the example which we've seen where uh, Snigadoodle is used, for example, with Adidas, where uh, for sharing the data, uh, an NFT is distributed. Okay. So it's, I would say this, like, candidly, we've had some great conversations with MetaMask, like, based on their development cycle, I, I don't see us as being competitive. We've made very real design decisions so that we're not building a wallet that's focused on digital assets. We're not focused on housing Ethereum or Bitcoin or these types of assets. And that's a way for us to, to kind of be a blockchain Switzerland for, for these data use cases. Uh, given given how hard it is to build in this space and given the need for, I think, a multi-chain approach to data, uh, especially if we think about non-EVM chains like Solana and, say, Polkadot, because of the way our architecture is built out, um, I don't necessarily see them as competitive. I think it's frankly more likely we, we serve as a widget in one of those types of wallets to, to help put distribution out. And given given the kind of decentralized compute network, even if they try to do it, the it would be very, very difficult for them to have the scale of data uh, that I think we will we will eventually get to in the very near future. So, you know, it's something obviously we're we're very aware of. Um, we think we have some really good patents. We have some really good you know team that's going to make this difficult to do that. And and given how we've built this out, uh, it's going to frankly be faster, simpler, cheaper for MetaMask to partner with Snickerdoodle than try to build Snickerdoodle. Thank you. How far are we from crypto blockchain regulation? And do you see oncoming regulation as opportunity for Snickerdoodle? And then an example, accelerated enterprise NFTs adoption, or there is well advanced MICA regulation in the EU. Aren't you afraid of its implications, i.e. KYC? of the transacting users? I would, I would say this, like regulation's good for Snickerdoodle. Um, you know, my team is doxxed. We're all, we're all known actors. Uh, I'm not going to go disappear uh, into the ether like some of these other projects out here. And so uh, my own background working in government um, you know, pretty extensively have given advice and counsel uh, the White House on, on crypto regulation and, you know, was just in the UK, met with a number of government actors there on a number of these types of regulations, uh, slated to teach a course at Oxford next year on like blockchain or non-technical majors as we think about getting good, good instruction out to people going back to government. I think we've built Snickerdoodle to be a good actor. We our our brand is trust. People need to trust us. Governments need to trust us. Enterprise need to trust us. We will we will make decisions that that protect the goodwill of the company, and, and make us you know a force multiplier. I think for good 
And, uh, you know, there'll definitely have to be compromises we make in terms of like not optimizing for profit sometimes to, to protect the trust. But the way I think about it is, you know, there's, there are companies that are led by value and there's companies that are led by values. And that S has a tremendous amount of impact and difference, even though it's simply one letter at the very end of the word. So I, I see Snickerdoodle as a values-led company. And that is, that's how we carry ourselves. That is how I, know I instruct the team. There are three rules to the company. One, don't be an asshole which is easier said than done. Two, uh, humility over hubris. I think we have to be confident in what we know, but humble and always open to learn. And then you know, really kind of rule three is learn something new every day. So uh, those are very simple rules, but those are my kind of golden three rules for the company. And I think, you know, as we're thinking about regulation, uh, we're ready for regulation. I think it will benefit us as we've built our, our architecture and our products. And we hope uh, to kind of to be a conduit there to, to onboard more people into an environment that that has good policy there. What what drives you personally, Jonathan, to build Snickerdoodle? You know, been in this space you know over five years. I've seen crazy things. We've seen companies that have like no value proposition raise hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, They've been squandered. I think about my own kind of upbringing. I, I was supposed to be a lawyer, ended up not going to law school. And a real desire to have an impact for the greater good. Uh, I was trained by the Jesuits, in the, you know, the Catholic, the Catholic group, and they had a very simple mission of being men and women for others. Okay. And so I think about my own personal philosophy. It's you know, how do we how do we be people for others in this world and have that social justice value driven. And I think from what we're building as a company, we have real potential to, to generate value for our token holders, for our shareholders. We can, we can definitely make a lot of money and there's nothing wrong with, with uh, being a capitalist, but at the same time we can temper that with uh, a value driven approach to making the world a better place. And I think you know, the really exciting stuff for me is the stuff that's probably five to eight years down the line. We do get to that notion of private sector UBI and, and uplifting others and being a company of good. So uh, that drives me. Uh, I love the people I work with. I have a phenomenal uh, team that's also very kind of values driven. And I think it's, uh, you know, we have a finite amount of time here on this planet and we can choose to we can choose to do good, we can choose to, to build, or we can choose to kind of, uh, frankly, not, not kind of use the time we've been given. So that, that's what kind of drives me as, as, on a personal basis. Thanks for sharing that, Jonathan. I always like to ask that question because it's, it, it provides so much more context and color um, to the entire project itself. So the next question by the community is, has the analytics dashboard first product of Snickerdoodle been launched yet? Do you foresee any roadmap hurdles relating to the crypto winter? It's a, it's a good question. Um, the, we were, it, is, it, is, it is done. We're at a point now where it's being tested now by two external kind of initial customers. So the Insights Analytics platform, that was, that was the big kind of last two design sprints and it, it's, 
is actively being tested. I know talking with some of the leadership team here, our hope is to kind of share some of the visuals out in the next two, three weeks. So just bear with us there. But uh, that, that that is out. We're, we're now testing it now with multiple partners and uh, we'll have more beta into that over the next six to eight weeks. Do you think the Snickerdoodle model could be expanded to the machines and economy of things space? Or in the other words, do you think there's room for machines data monetization via machines, NFTs on Snickerdoodle's layer? 100%. And we've already thought about that. The way we've designed our, our network is to have headless devices, Raspberry Pi devices. And so uh, we fully believe in a world where we'll see IoT devices plug into this and the applications there are going to be tremendous. And I think we'll, we'll probably see more data from device to device communication and even person to person communication. So uh, that that is something that even from the earliest days of Snickerdoodle, we thought about how the heck would this thing work? And we thought about, you know, an integration where if you're at a stadium and you have an NFT ticket, you know where you're sitting, you know that there's like a, a lull at a concession stand and we can in real time nudge you with a coupon to your wallet to get a beer that's 20% off in, in this very specific section. So we, we think that that IoT device device communication layers is, is not only going to happen, I think it's going to probably be bigger than even some of the human to human stuff in the not so distant future. That's very interesting to hear because we just signed uh, an investment in a company called Peak, um, which is pretty much uh, offering a layer for sovereignty of machines. Mm -hmm. but don't don't tell Arnold Schwarzenegger that about the sovereignty of machines. <laughs> uh, um, so. And let me know if uh, the upcoming question uh, is off limits uh, yeah. in an AMA. Um, the question is, which investors participated in the last round and which FDV did the last round close? I won't discuss the full FDV, but what I will say is that our token round was led by Tiger Global. Uh, we had participation um, you know, from some phenomenal firms, including, uh, you know, FTX re-upping with Sam Bankman-Fried and, and Blockchain Capital and a number of other kind of marquee investors. We're in the midst now of of having wrapped up that 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 token round and going on to doing an equity round, uh, and that is still in flight. So I won't say necessarily who's involved there, but based on that round led by Tiger, which we'll, we'll more publicly talk about probably into into September, early October, the investor group in total will will include both a number of marquee Web2 firms, Web3 firms, and corporates that will, I think, be very, very exciting and show tremendous strength for the, for the firm going forward. And what do you look for in your investors? Is there, you know, is there the importance of values, uh, just as uh, preeminent as potentially the value they provide as companies? It, I would say this, it's, it's, it's kind of a composite approach. I think, you know, it's a matter of, this is the weird thing about investing, I think, in Web3. Like, so much of it is talking to, to VCs. In, in the past, it's been, 
VCs interviewing founders. And I think it's now more of a mix of a founder interviewing a VC while also having the VC interview the founder. And um, I feel extremely blessed to, to have had a great track record of building product uh, and, and having great mentors in, the, in both kind of traditional tech and now in, in Web3. And so um, while, while not breaking my, my, third, my second rule, I feel very confident in my own background in the space and my network in the space. There, there are a few VCs, I think, outside of maybe the tier one, uh, tier one B firms that have a better network than I do based on my time at PayPal. And so when I look for a great investor, I'm looking for somebody who gets the vision has patience to kind of see real long-term value as opposed to a quick kind of token swap and, and or token uh, kind of you know selling there and then a look over look for people who either offer geographic diversity or other types of skill sets that that the team could get better at or uh, you know is looking to kind of skill up in so we've, we've got a great group of new investors who are geographically different from the ones we've had uh, in the last round in this upcoming upcoming fundraise, we have uh, you know experts in advertising as we think about expanding that. So we're really excited to kind of bring in people that help shore up the collective knowledge of the team and offer access uh, to new to new firms and, and new ideas of ways so that we can we can skill up. I mean, the company is constantly growing in terms of of the way our our knowledge base is structured and. Um, there's always something to learn every day. And I'm very, very keen on, on everybody in the company, myself very much included, you know, getting smarter, getting better, getting wiser on an ongoing basis. Thank you. Um, there's another question um, around uh, the token of Snickerdoodle. And the question is, how is value generated for token holders? Does Adidas, for example, have to stake tokens to use the infrastructure being built? So we, we kind of imagine this as a Uniswap type model where um, if, say, Adidas wants to go target, say, that example I gave of a 1,000 users in London, they would have to basically leverage the token uh, to get that subset of people. So um, you have to really transact this data, data economy using the token. And so that's designed to drive value to the token holders. It's designed to drive velocity of the token. It's designed to drive true utility. Uh, I'm a firm believer that not every blockchain project needs a token. And when the team sat down to think about how do we decentralize this thing, how do we have a very real use case, we thought about this token really being a claim on this decentralized data lake. And we thought we had we had offers from a number of big corporates who wanted to build the data lake with us, and we had we had to tell them can't do it. We if we wanted to. The way this thing would be structured, uh, you, you really have to have decentralization to be a, a good and honest broker for this type of stuff. So um, we see as the value of the data increases, the utility of the data, the number of users who have contributed data to the, to the data economy grows, that's all dry, designed to drive value to the token. And uh, we, we earnestly believe that, you know, the more users we have and, and the more applications being built on this data economy, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great way to have not just hype, not just uh, no false promise, but frankly, the most important commodity of the century being the backbone of, of how we value our, our token. 
Thank you. Let me just check the questions which you haven't answered yet. Are there already partnerships with companies which will use Snickerdoodle solution, for example, the dashboard? Yeah, we, we have a number of people that are, have already begun to sign LOIs and, and structuring that out. We have a pretty good pipeline. So that, that's ongoing there. And uh, that will, we have a good BD team that's forming up. So that is, uh, that is in flight. And I think as you go to the open beta later, later this year, uh, that will only increase. And we, we have pretty lofty goals in the next year to have a pretty aggressive sprint there. And will the companies like to use Snickerdoodle need to purchase some kind of subscription or license from Snickerdoodle? What will be the revenue stream for Snickerdoodle as a company? As a as a as a company, uh, we have like a you know, very straightforward SaaS monthly recurring revenue model. We'll have probably a, a method. We're still finalizing how this would exactly work. We we think we'll have a situation. We'll have be we will be able to basically have like a freemium model and then a premium model. And so um, the truth is, we want people to really kind of get used to using the product. We're not going to try to over optimize on revenue early on. Because remember, every time a, a customer brings in, we get more users from that kind of growth hack. So our goal is to really prioritize um, user adoption of the network, downloads of the data wallet, and then we can, we can begin to more heavily monetize that on the analytics insights as, as that grows over the coming years. And in order for a company to buy the user data using Snigledoodle, Will they need to purchase the Doodle token? And if yes, how will they be able to purchase it? Will it be from the open market or Snickerdoodle directly? Uh, will there be a capped supply of the Doodle token or will there be an infinite amount of tokens entering so the circulation? We do have a, a capped supply. The token is the token economy right now is capped at what thirteen point five billion. So we're not going to emit more than that. It might be something where we multiply everything by a hundred if the if the price goes really well, type of a thing. But you know, that's that's all uh, out in the future, and I'm not going to spend too much time speculating on that. But you know, we we've designed this so that you know firms could go buy in the open market once the token token is live. It's also something where they could work with Snickerdoodle to basically facilitate this. We think that's going to be important for enterprise users who just want to transact in fiat. It also means that if you're transacting in fiat and say you're adding us, just to kind of stick with the example, they could pay in fiat, but we would make sure that tokens are exchanged in the back end to make sure that you know the token holders are, are getting their value worth and facilitate, facilitating that with a white glove solution. So, but the short of it is, yes, if you want to access the data within the, the data economy, you're going to have to transact that with, with doodles in some way or form. Thank you. And now we're going to jump into some of the live questions. Um, in your personal opinion, how long will it take until we see NFTs for university diplomas, work permits, or ownership certificates? I think we're, we're already seeing the initial things there. Uh, I think realistically until probably this thing is more mass adopted, I'd say three to four years. Um, I know there's a couple things we're working on um, to kind of move that over there so but i do think it's probably like three to four years i think we're going to move sideways as, a, as an industry for probably the next 18 months uh, just given like historical trends and probably get back into a growth spurt 
uh, probably latter part of, of, of next year, early 2024. And I think you'll start to see a lot of stuff happening there. But you know, from conversations of, of I put my Stanford hat on, uh, I think you're going to start to see universities and governments move pretty aggressively on these fronts pretty quickly. Thank you. And now we have a question by Joseph. Do you have any paying customers or companies that are already working on integrating Snigledoodle outside of the Web3 space that you can disclose of? I can't disclose who they are, but I can say that we have you know, several contracts and, and six-figure revenue uh, on, on Web2 firms or you know, big kind of non-blockchain firms that are looking at the tech. Thank you. And the next question is from Marcel. Would also be interesting to know how long the time frame Jonathan thinks is that it takes for users to be fully in Web3 with their data. With that, I mean, how long is the time frame until data becomes old and unusable due, due to changed hobbies, interest, and user behavior? That's a good question. Um, that's something we think about a lot. I mean, it's going to probably take two, three years. I think it comes down to, if we look at the pace of adoption for things like MetaMask and Phantom and other types of top-tier wallets right now, you're seeing like a Cambrian explosion of growth and uh, it really comes down to looking at the utility behind these things and so that to that to that point I think it's gonna it's gonna probably take you're gonna, you're gonna see big movement out of Europe in the next 18 months on PDPR and, and the requirements to people to be, be able to export their data there I think as we think about a couple of these things that will lead to faster acceleration of these things you know, pretty quickly. So give it, give it two, three years. Uh, the way Snickerdoodle is, is being structured out is we're, we're with this equity fundraise that will be completed, I think, in the next 45 to 60 days. We'll be in a spot where you know, we have three and a half years of, of runaway sans grants, sans revenue, sans any other fundraising. And that positions us well to, to make sure that we have the staying power to both grow and, and be responsible as a firm to, to make sure we're in this fight for the long term. Thank you. And another question by Joseph. With more regulations around the corner, how will you ensure the Doodle token won't be deemed as a security? Even very expensive lawyers. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a maybe kind of funny answer, but no, the truth is we've, we've done everything we can work with top flight counsel domestically in the U.S. and overseas to ensure that um, this is not seen as a security. We have, we have a plan for decentralization. And I think the, the goal here is if we think about the, the types of tokens that are out to market, we have, we have real efforts to kind of have this be a true utility token. So uh, I feel very confident with the legal work that's been done with the way we thought about the tokenomics, and that positions us well to, to weather that storm. And I think the other thing is that if you think about macro regulation as a whole, uh, the space has gotten sharper and the space has gotten better at working with lawmakers and industry actors so that, um, at least in the U.S. context, the U.S. is not put in a, put in a, uh, being placed at a disadvantage by having a chilling effect on these things. So. Um, it's a combination thereof, but just, you know, 
we've made the the cognizant self-aware decision to invest in legal and i think that will be validated and vindicated when when it's said and done thank you and i think that ties perfectly into the next question by uh, leon how are you integrating different data protection rules in different countries i.e what if it's required by law to make it possible for consumers to delete their data that's that's the beauty of the system you know people people can delete their data pretty easily in in a snickerdoodle system like snickerdoodle doesn't own the data individual does primarily providing the infrastructure and the, the tool sets for people to uh, store it to monetize it to do a number of these applications so uh this is why we're you know compliant with gdpr by design this is why uh, we really are kind of focused on the individual being self-sovereign is we 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 do this paradigm shift where, where you're the aggregation point but it also means that you're the arbiter and final decision maker on that data thank you and another one from joseph Will Snickerdoodle comply with regulations that blacklist certain wallet addresses like what happened with Tornado Cash recently? If I have my data on Snickerdoodle and one of my wallets gets blacklisted, will it affect my other wallets or data on Snickerdoodle? Can I just remove the blacklisted wallet or will I need to create a new Snickerdoodle account? It's a good question. Um, I'm not going to probably have a complete answer, but let me try to answer it as best I can. I mean... We will comply with uh, regulations as, as kind of mandated, I think, in that kind of environment. Um, you know, we don't we don't we don't want slash need people to recreate multiple accounts. We, we think, you know, somebody having a, a, an account at Snickerdoodle tied to them as individual is super, super important for this stuff working. So. Uh, I probably don't have the, the exact answer you're going to want. But I would say at a high level, we would work to make sure that the affected things are, are disintermediated there, but that it doesn't impact your overall experience. We, we really want to make sure the individual is, is paramount in this kind of experience and that we're, we're working to make this as, as delightful and a, a easy to use experience as possible. Thank you. And we also have the next one by Joseph again. Are you planning on launching the token initially on an Avalanche subnet? That that is the the goal. I think at this point we're looking at e, like either working with another subnet or building potentially our own in the longer term. Uh, I've done a lot a lot of great work. The Avalanche team, uh, John Wu, tremendous respect for him um, and the team he's built there. I mean, the whole Avalanche team I think is is building some phenomenal tech. EVM compatibility, I think, is a critical force multiplier, and you know, um, I'm, I'm taking a long bet on Avalanche, and I think um, we feel we feel pretty excited about about the tech that's being built out there. Thank you. And another question by Joseph, and I know you mentioned uh, the the patents a little bit early on, so he's asking, do you have any patents for Snigadoodle, and how will you work on? building a mode that other centralized companies or decentralized protocols won't be able to simply copy Fox Snickerdoodle and compete with them. So we are in the process of filing a number of provisional patents right now. And so uh, that's actually one of the reasons why the, the, the revised technical white paper has not come out is because we're 
working with counsel to file a number of patents before we release that. And once those are released, we'll, we'll release an updated technical white paper. So, um, you know, it comes down, you know, whenever you're getting into a patent fight from a tech perspective, that always gets kind of ugly. We really kind of see as a way of, of protecting the tech we're building out. And I think as we think about the network, I mean, that's truly decentralized. When it cuts down to uh, the deployment of the tech from the C-Corp and the advertising and a couple of these other things, that's where the patents are, are way more important. And so we, we see this as a way to to help drive business and basically make this more economical for businesses to leverage our tech or our network and trying to do it on their own. And uh, we, we think that's going to be a good strategy for, for, for having a moat, for, for driving user adoption and by having a very kind of broad network that's, that's not expensive, but, but ubiquitous, that's going to be a better way to generate value for both the C-Corp and the token holders. Uh, when you mentioned the, the C-Corp, uh, can you maybe elaborate uh, on that? Yeah, so we have a, a very vanilla Delaware C-Corp, Snickerdoodle Labs, Inc. Um, you know, we have uh, an overseas foundation, Snickerdoodle Global Foundation. It's based in Panama. Um, C-Corp, as we've built out, you know, hold, holds 20% of the token economy in perpetuity designed to have uh, alignment between equity holders and token holders. Uh, it also then allows, you know, firms that are in the equity to have the indirect exposure to the token if they can't hold token on balance sheet. And so um, the C-Corp is really what's building the network, what's building the initial kind of use case, the, the insights analytics platforms. And so we have both uh, the network and we have uh, the C-Corp. And we, we see them in a symbiotic relationship and, and that's how we kind of structure it out. And when you get advice for uh, those scenarios and for your future plans, do you rely on uh, advice from, for example, big four accounting firms or do you see them not being up to speed yet with what you actually need? We, we haven't spoken to any of the big four accounting firms in terms of like how we've structured our stuff out. We, we, we do work with, with counsel or we, we use Fenwick and West, uh, which we think is a pretty good firm. And, you know, they've introduced us to a number of smaller boutique firms on the, on the accounting side. And we have, we have a CFO uh, with a fractional CFO. So we do have, you know, pretty rigorous accounting and safeguards there where we're, running this business we have we have books that we can show people so um we do have processes and governance there in place we aren't talking to any of the big four firms yet i think i think they still i think they still probably have a journey on how to best structure a lot of these things out thank you uh jonathan i want to be respectful of your time uh, how much longer can we go we have uh, a few more questions how about, you know, we'll take the, the few more questions. I can stay on a couple more minutes, uh, uh, but like maybe another five minutes or so. Okay. Yeah, that will do. Thank you. Um, Michael is asking, so the company using Snigledool solutions won't even have to have a pre-wallet and everything will happen on the back end if necessary. This is in the context of, this is in the context of the question regarding buying tokens in order to pay users for data. Yeah, we think, we think that's an important design feature 
as people get used to this type of ecosystem. In the long term, we think it's going to be important for people to have wallets and, and be part of this, and we'll have incentives to, to do that. But you got to meet your customers where they are. And, you know, I'm not a purist. I, I believe you have to make compromises to, to maximize the value for the collective good. And we will meet customers where they are to, to, to benefit the token holders, the shareholders, and the entire ecosystem. Thank you. And another question by uh, Hiroshima Sunset. How does Snickerdoodle plan to onboard non-crypto native users? So this is, this is like probably in the, in the, in the late Q4 and Q1 uh, with the Web3 based games, really having a strong effort there to get more of the, crypt the crypto native users. And we have some interesting kind of marketing community type of things we're going to be planning. Um, that those are in the works now. And we think those would be powerful as we think uh, about expanding the network here. So more to come there, but we, we do have a lot of things in the works there that will, will be more publicly announced in probably the next month or two. Which games are you particularly looking at at the moment? Or which ones are you most excited about? I think, uh, I mean, right now, I think we're super excited about Krabata and Shrapnel. But there's, there's, a, there's a big list of others in the pipeline. And so but I, I would say those two are the ones we're, we're keen to kind of get really good feedback on in the next, couple, in the next month or two. Thank you. And uh, last two questions. How do you attract the right talent? That's a, that's a good question. I, I've been blessed. I've been blessed to have a great network between Stanford, from PayPal, from, from the broad ecosystem. And it goes back to those three rules. Um, don't be an asshole. Humility over hubris and learn something new every day. And I think for my own leadership style, um, I like to not be the smartest person in the room. And what I mean by that is you're trying to find the smartest people possible who you know fill the framework of the of those three rules and you know putting together the right combinations of people. So um we've we've made some some tough decisions to make sure we have the right human capital. I think with the way the market is, coupled with the size of our team now, we really want a culture of of excellence where frankly People see this as one of uh, the best and brightest and, and most cohesive teams out there within Web3 that will weather you know, bull markets and, and bear markets. And it goes down to that kind of comment about values and values. Anybody can kind of generate value, but we really want to find value-driven people who, who have this mission. And the nice thing is, I think compared to DeFi, compared to a couple of the other big trends in Web3, you know, this vision of people owning and controlling their data has become, uh, it's become so, so critical for how we conceptualize how the internet ought to be. And I think that has allowed us to really hit above our weight for the size of the company um, in terms of finding really, really bright people who we can pay well, give great incentives for, for mid and long-term alignment, but also realize that they're not just building another DEX or another, another way for people with too much money to make more money on yields. We, we are building something that will offer practical, real utility for the world and, and uh, you know, hopefully do some good. Thank you. And now the last one from Christian. Are there any hurdles for Snigledoodle regarding data res residency regulations? Uh, and I want to add one more question to that. 
Um, yeah. Do you think there's a possibility of certain countries potentially um, banning Snickerdoodle? Uh, because we've, we've just recently seen the uh, regulation of Canada, for example, where they restrict how much of any other tokens than ETH and Bitcoin you can buy. So we thought about this, and we think that's where this kind of subnet architecture becomes pretty powerful. Um, you know, if we have to build purpose-built networks that are that are siloed off, but you know, still kind of interconnected, uh, the architecture exists to do that. It's not ideal, but it is entirely practical with how we're building tech out. So um, the short of it is, like, we're going to cross those bridges when we get there. Um, the way we've built out our investor base, the way, you know, my work, I work in government and, and this is maybe like, this might be TMI, but like the work I'm doing outside of Snickerdoodle tends to be very much focused on, on foreign policy right now. So work with the Atlantic Council, the work with Stanford, the work with the Bretton Woods Institution. That might be like, well, what the, what the heck is he doing that? Um, the truth is like those offer relationships and pathways uh, to policymakers, both domestically and internationally, and I think put us in the right rooms to have these types of poignant conversations. And so it's not just Snickerdoodle advocating for Snickerdoodle; it's being Snickerdoodle as like a as a as a flagship for how these types of conversations ought to be. And uh, the joke I used to tell people is, I can I can go talk to my friend Brock Pierce, who who's a who's a character. I can also go and talk to uh, Dan Schulman, who's the CEO of PayPal. And that, that is a rare thing in Web3 right now, where you can have people you know, put on a suit, but also you know, go to a crypto conference in a t-shirt and jeans. And so that, that is something I think we as a team at Sneakerty will do well. Um, and I think we, we just have to kind of carry that forward. All right, Jonathan, thank you very much for answering <laughs> our many questions. Uh, it has been incredibly insightful and our community really um, has fallen in love with uh, the concept of Snickerdoodle. And I think hearing you, um, the CEO and founder speak yourself, um, has added um, even more to that excitement. Yeah. I, I would just add in by saying really, really appreciate all the questions and time. I know folks are incredibly busy, and so I, I am deeply appreciative of this. Uh, as we get more product built out. I know talking with some of the folks here, we're super keen to, to get your feedback on the product, on, on the data wallet, a lot of these applications. So we're, we're very, very keen to, to have you guys be early adopters, early users. We'll definitely make sure you guys are, are rewarded for that type of feedback and, and insight. And we look forward to working pretty closely together over the coming months. Likewise, Jonathan. And we had 150 people listening in live, um, and I'm sure the rest of the community is going to listen to the Spotify recording, um, if you're okay with, with us putting that out there. Yeah, please feel free to do uh, everything discussed here, you know, happy to, to be out there, and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great, great group of questions, guys. All right, amazing. Thank you once again, Jonathan. It has been a pleasure uh, to talk to you again, and I'm looking forward to further establishing this relationship right. happy thursday folks we're gonna have a great afternoon or evening or morning wherever you're at thank you bye-bye this recording has been prepared and made available by vvv it is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products 
VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.